You're about to listen to a new episode of Audio Signals. Get ready to take a journey into the known, the unknown, and everything in between. Recorded at no specific point in time nor space, ITSP Magazine's co-founders Marco Cipelli and Sean Martin follow their passion and curiosity as they venture away from the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society to discover new stories worth being told. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at Nintex.com. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Marco. Sean. Guess what I just bought? You bought um, the Metaverse. I didn't buy the Metaverse. I did buy a, uh, a Gucci briefcase from the Ponte Vecchio. Did, did you see me there? Did you see me there? Yeah. It's an NFT one. An NFT? Yeah, and I'm in, I'm in LA at the moment, so the, this was in the metaverse. I didn't buy the whole metaverse. I'm not that rich. Yeah. Not yet. A few more but, podcasts and then we'll... Apart from podcast. you being not there, was it a fake one already to start <laughs> with? Did you bought from somebody in the street or you actually yes. bought it? Yeah, it was on a nice uh, table. It, was, it looked like a nice tablecloth and it didn't look too sketchy. I think it was a real, a real Gucci. All right. I think you were dreaming, or maybe you're playing a game. I was playing a game. I was playing a ah, game. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't real money that I gave him either. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know, who, who tricked who here? That's the question. I think that's what we're going to talk about right now because um, this is an interesting conversation for Audio Cena, which is our new channel where we talk about whatever we. Whatever we like, it doesn't have to be cybersecurity, it doesn't have to be technology, but you know what? Most of the time we end up talking about technology, and today we're going to end up talking about blockchain in a way. We're going to talk about metaverse, NFT, as in, oh no, I mean, until the time is allowed for us, or whatever we have budget in terms of timing, I think we're not going to miss uh, you know, any opportunity to really go in a lot of different places, in a lot of different uh, universe. <laughs> I'm going to play a little game here with words. and um, But we're going to stay, Sean, into the gaming universe, which is something that we haven't really talked about yet. Let's, let's play a game, Marco. Yeah? Let's play a game. And uh, I'm going to invite two people to play with us. Uh, I think they're going to whip our tails in this game because they, they know everything and we're just kind of floating around here in this in this space. Rafael Brown. That's right, Rafael Brown and Kerry D'Souza. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, so, definitely. It's good to be here. Rafael and Kerry, based on the, the, the blobbing that we've done so far, I mean, what's <laughs> where do you want to go with that? I mean, what you want to go with Metaverse? Well, well, I want to hear who they are first. Yeah. They, they have a history of, of some really cool things that uh, will help shape. Okay, Both so this conversation the and, and the way people think about this conversation. Here's the game, Sean. As they introduce themselves, I want to hear 
what is the big passion that they have right now? Throw okay. it in there All as right. you introduce yourself. Like this is the thing <laughs> that we really need to talk about right now. Gotcha. You go first, Ralph. All right. Um, so I, I'm a game designer, game developer. I've been uh, making games for professionally for the past 25 years, and. Um, I can remember, um, you know, this will date me a little bit uh, as, as a kid going to see Tron in the movie theaters and, uh, and at a certain point looking at that and going, I want to be in that, I want to make that. Um, you know, I, I, a few, you know, a couple years later, I think I, I read uh, William Gibson's Neuromancer and, and said like, like I could see the connection and, and then, um, and then uh, 1992, uh, just after it came out, um, you know, still in college, I, I read um, Snow Crash uh, by by Neil Stevenson, and like I could see that there's this consistent pattern, this notion of a world of information that was visualized. And I'd always worked with computers as a kid; it was something that just kind of came naturally. And so, as I got into games, and when games really went 3D. When, when we launched the commercial GPU in 1996, um, you know, coming from a number of companies, we in the computing space looked at that and I, like, I, I went from web to games going, games are what I've kind of always done ever since Dungeons and Dragons as a kid. Uh, I understand how to visualize this, how to think about the user experience. And so across the last 25 years from Electronic Arts and Activision and Nintendo and Microsoft um, and 2K and a, a whole host of folks. I, I, I've been at a lot of companies, large and small, but I'll, I'll pull out two particular things. Made a lot of games, first person and open world. But um, in the mid 90s, I worked with Looking Glass and uh, we did the Thief series, which was early 3D. And like, I can remember when we transitioned from software rendering to hardware rendering and going like the beginning of 3D, this is the thing, this is the feel of it. Um, and then later on in my career working um, under John Carmack at id Software and um, both the sense that we were making, going from making levels to making worlds and, um, and that at least at that point, um, and you know, this is about 10 years ago, that we were rendering these worlds and, and building and developing them on, on cloud, um, realizing the importance of cloud for our development process, and then eventually for the hosting of, of these worlds. So to me, it's, it's always been about building worlds and the sense that devices, GPU, uh, cloud come together to make the ability to visualize the things that we have in our heads. But I'll turn it over to Carrie. Well, Ralph, I'm, I'm going to try and try and uh, try and do some justice to what you've done. I, I don't think I'm, I'm close to what what you've achieved. I, I think for me, the fast my my journey in games started. Um, I would say Lara Croft, I and mean, that definitely dates me. Um, Tomb Raider, the first one, um, Prince series, and I think for me, um, besides the whole design part, for me it was like what is this technology that's allowing people to build these amazing things and, and put this in front of the screen and you can actually interact with that. And that started my journey into learning just about everything about making games, which goes right from the math and physics of programming to 
design side of it to bring the design and technology together to to release stuff and and that that uh, that got me into games that got me into working with electronic arts um need for speed series that, that's where i work with raf and then and then uh, going on to work uh with nexon which is one of the largest free-to-play game companies in the world um before uh and before diving really deep into um both into visual computing and some of the AI that uh, is driving some of the game uh, games out there. So for me, my my passion is definitely the the technology side of stuff. When when people tell me there's something new happening, um, there's a new software or something, I, I always dig in to see okay, what's going on behind the scenes? How is this possible? What else can we do with this? Um, and a lot of times it is they're telling me that they can do all of this stuff. Is it really possible? Let me see how much of that is real and how much of that is sort of made up stuff. And that's that's what drives me. Um, and here we are. I would like to spend a lot of time talking tech, but before we before we actually get there, I, I want to get your sense, maybe kind of set the stage a bit for what games look like, I don't know, a few years back even. Uh, we can go back as far as you like to where they look, what they look like now. And, and what I'm trying to figure out is, is it driven by what's possible with technology? Is it driven? I'm just thinking very simple minded games started with competitions, right? You, Ralph, you mentioned reaching the next level. You have to achieve certain things to break into the next level. You've then mm -hmm. morphed into worlds. Um, some worlds you create, some worlds you live in. So I'm wondering where, how things have shifted from uh, competing to achieving to maybe more experiential and, and kind of what drives that? Is it tech? Is it the people? Is it the game? It, it's, it's always the tech. Um, so it's, it's the people predicting and understanding what the tech can do now and what it can do in the next few years. So, so I, I'm, I'm very, in, I'm very influenced by John Carmack, um, both because I worked under him for a couple of years and absorbed a great deal, but because I've always liked his perspective. Back when I was at Looking Glass and he was at ID, I would read his his dot plan files. Um, he was always very practical. As were, you know, frankly, a, a handful of others like Micah Brash, who's now at uh, at at Facebook Meta, um, Tim Sweeney. Fit, games have always been about doing what the the what is possible on the bleeding edge of tech. Of, of knowing we can just barely do this thing, but over the next few years, it'll get a little easier to do this thing. And so um, id software was always good. And, and, and John was kind of, you know, even though he was the lead programmer, he was always kind of the chief designer. There were other people who actually were designing, but John would basically say, this is what is possible with the engine right now. This is what we can do. And then the folks in design would go, okay, we can work within that. Um, it's always important to start with what can the hardware do? What can the software that can run on that hardware in terms of operating system and engine, what can they achieve? And then how can we illustrate that? Because the engine, the GPU, the display, these are, are the brushes that we paint with. Um, but if, if you just go, what can you do? you end up halfway through going, oh, we can't actually ship that. We can't, maybe we can't even fully develop that. But if you go, what can the hardware do? You can build to the bleeding edge of what is possible. And if you keep following that, you go, oh, right. We see that we're on this journey 
and iteratively we can steadily go always a little bit further and so i've been looking at that over the last 30 years and so just to take the last 10 years we had well we had immersive worlds with say like gta you know grand theft auto 3 20 years ago we started to get to relatively rich worlds 10 years ago a lot of the last while has been about going we can supplement what we can render on device with additional cloud either through um, what we can do in terms of development behind the scenes or what we can render while the device is connected to a cloud um, and and so we're getting to the point of where we're having richer worlds one of the biggest changes in the last while what frankly was when uh, Epic Games on, you know, Tim Sweeney and Fortnite basically said, hey, we're the biggest game in the world. This was back around 2018. 2016 to 2018, they'd seen this meteoric growth and they said, you know what? And so they voiced the thing that we've always known, which is you can flip the switch and connect PC and console together or PC, console and mobile. Um, they're all just running on cloud servers. And they said, hey, um, my, uh, Xbox, PlayStation, we're going to connect these. If you don't want us to, we can turn off our game on your servers. And they played a game of brinksmanship and they won because they were at that point and actually still now the biggest game and they grew bigger. They grew exponentially bigger because they connected communities. And so the, no, the rise of cloud, it's not just like, oh, you know, cloud runs a bunch of shit it's sorry it runs a bunch of stuff it's that it allows people to connect together and you get to greater senses of community and platform and experience when you connect these people together and then there you see the rise of minecraft and roblox and fortnite where you start to see platforms as they grow bigger grow wider and the types of players that can come in to a consistent community grows because of that. These platforms are growing because they opened the doors, they connected to each other, but then they also said the meaning of play can become broader. And so that's a bunch of what we're trying to get to across the 2020s is having platforms that can have more people. And if it's not just, oh, here I've got 10,000 or a million or you know five million but you go hey we've got a hundred million people then you can start going find people who like to play the way that you do have a platform that gives space to experience the way you want to and so there's greater um, community and greater experiential range when we bring more people together i love it and i, I know marco's going to want to get into the the, the story layer the story slice of this um but i'm going to stick with the, the platform and the ecosystem and and go to you carrie with this because you mentioned cloud you mentioned mobile um you use the word platform and i'm just wondering what what does this ecosystem look like um and so there's the gpu and, and i'm i presume there's applications and software and apis that allow all this and obviously headsets and and all these things what does that ecosystem look like and, and how, how is a multi-vendor, multi-product, multi-component ecosystem driving new capabilities for gaming? 
I know Raf touched on some of it. What what's that ecosystem look like? Well, I think I think to to Raf's point, um, technology definitely is a driver for a lot of the games we're seeing today. And I think as technology has improved for the last twenty years, what I've noticed is that one, you can support larger and larger communities. You can support diverse um, platforms and still have. Uh, sort of a unified gaming experience. I mean, for example, you could be playing a game on Xbox and I could be playing a game on PlayStation, very similar experience on the same game. So that's something which is becoming more and more possible. Uh, on the GPU side, I mean, that's improving every every few months. We, we, we have massive, significant improvements on that. So the overall quality and the overall richness is it, it's just getting better, more realistic. Um, stuff is getting rendered in real time. Um, you're you're getting you're getting sort of um, a unified rich experience across platform and thanks to um, thanks to the cloud and the connectivity and uh, so so a person today can play you could be playing on an Xbox but somebody could literally compete with you potentially from a cell phone somewhere on the other side of the world and for me that's that's a fascinating bit that you are no longer restricted by the limitations of just your local hardware you can now basically connect from all sorts of hardware to go and, and play uh, in this massive global playground uh, and have a have a similar gaming experience and that's that's getting better faster um it, it's forcing designers to finally come up with come up with design that actually can can um sort of push the the hardware to its edge uh, and i think i think we've sort of reversed it in the last 10 years or so the prior to that the designers would already we want to do all of these things but you guys just don't have enough technology for us to get there and i think the last 10 years especially the last three to four years we've seen it flip and suddenly hardware uh, it's become more specialized you've started seeing chipsets which are very specialized so that's allowed people to have harness more processing power for specific things that has now allowed designers to go and design this fantastic um, rich ecosystems which was not possible and also i mean if you look at a mobile phone right now this thing is so powerful i can i can get the same amount of processing that i could potentially four years ago get it on a on a, on a console so you, you're getting you're getting extremely rich connected experiences on your hand and that's the fascinating bit and i think that's just going to get better and better um, with variables coming into play, um, with uh, with games going through a full cycle of going from serious gaming to casual social gaming to back to serious gaming, now people have suddenly realized that okay, you, you want you want the might of a AAA game to to build a really good solid game. Nice. I I'm thinking what what you said the the answer rafael and and carrie like you you're very strong about the fact that technology is driving and me as a creative person you know storytelling advertising telling story for me is like i i agree because the storytelling has always been there it's part of who we are it's almost like then there is a new technology that goes from us telling story orally right back in the days to the invention of writing and then we go into radio we go into the internet and it's always been there right you know like we don't even need to invent the story and so when when Raphael you said starting to go from the level 
to the multi the the creating the universe that's i feel like the mo- the metaverse is the inevitable next step you know either we're there technologically or not i think we can talk about that next but the fact that it's always been in within us to tell stories and and to live it you know dungeons and dragons i mean if you had when you were a kid a multi player platform to do that wouldn't you have done that probably yeah i mean you were doing it on paper right so tell me tell me about this drive driver that yeah technology of course is important but but the storytelling i mean i'm thinking like movies they've been the same thing i mean we always try to to do more and then finally cgi is there then finally you can see avatar then finally i don't know maybe next we go into a movie ourselves I don't know yeah. what's what's the limit there, Rafael. Yeah, well, and and that's the thing is is that um, there's always a, a wide range of creative expression, and it's to figure out, you know, what are the tools in front of us at the time, and then to paint things that people didn't think were possible. So, yeah. like, th- think think about Pixar. Pixar, um, there's sometimes an illusion that like, oh, Pixar will just come up with any story. Um, especially if, if you look over their, their range, it's not that they go, oh, here, we'll do any story. They go, okay, what can we, what, what story can we paint with these tools? What, what pieces of, let's, oh, can we do fur yet? Can we do realistic humans yet? Um, you know, okay, you know, hey, we're gonna start with toys. We, we can't do people yet. We're gonna focus on the toys. Okay, now we're gonna start doing monsters or, or animals, um, you know, insects before, uh, before things with fur. You know, they're very careful about what they can illustrate in order to show their story. But still within that, every story is touching. Every, to- every story is creative. And, and so that's the thing is, is with games, we've done the same sort of thing where we can go, okay, um, Back in the '90s, we uh, we couldn't really do complex 3D worlds yet, so we would do levels, and and we would kind of think of them as being the beginnings of worlds. But we we knew how much we could do. We got into the 2000s, and there's a point where we started to have open worlds, and we had MMOs, and the MMOs were more turn-based, and the open world games were more single-player and offline, and it took about you know, 15 years to combine those things. Um, we, you know, you, you do the pieces individually and then you start to bring them together. And so, you know, Carrie's very much right in that we, we've seen this acceleration um, and, 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 but it doesn't mean like, oh, now we're at the metaverse. We're still about halfway there. Um, you know, that there's a point um, back before the pandemic at uh, NVIDIA's uh, 2019 GTC um, graphics technology conference where one of their directors was asked like, hey, you know, like the technology is improving with leaps and bounds. How far are we before you can render anything? <laughs> um, and, and he said, you know, like anything, perfect realistic. Can you be more specific than anything? <laughs> like per- perfect realistic rendering of no, no, anything I know. you want it's, to. It's yeah, and, and it's, it's kind of a silly question, but he's like, uh, he's like, you know, from like 1996 to to 2019, we're about halfway there. Um, you know, he's like, we still have about 25 years before we can render anything. Um, and so that's the thing is like, 
people often go like, oh, but we're moving so fast, like we'll be there next year. The metaverse is just around the corner. Um, you know, Intel was, was, um, was talking recently about the work that would get to a 3D successor to the internet. And they're like, we need about a thousand times current compute power. Now things are growing and we'll get there, um, but that's still 20 to 30 years away. And we don't know exactly how far because we need to do stuff along the way to figure out what it will take to get there. And so it's like, we're doing games that, that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we, we could only dream of, but you know, can I build us, you know, like Dubai just recently announced like, hey, we're going into the metaverse and we're going to have a digital twin of the city of Dubai um, that we're gonna build out over the next few years. And I'm like, that's crazy. You, like, if, if the folks at Rockstar North wanted to do that with Grand Theft Auto, they can't do that. And they have a lot more experience than you do. Like we can't build a full virtual city with 10 million people in it. We just can't do that. We're not there yet. Um, you know, you look at the fidelity and it's great compared to 10 years ago, but we've got so much work ahead of us. And so that that's the thing is like, to not get ahead of ourselves and say, hey, we're at a metaverse now. It's like, no, we're at peak gaming. We're at peak internet. We have things that we never could have thought before. And also, you know, in that peak internet, we have streaming audio where everybody's, and streaming video where everybody's cutting their cords and going, I'm now going to consume media through something that probably has a plus at the end of it. <laughs> so, right. you know, like we have greater access to content than we've ever had before. We're playing together and experiencing faster and easier and better across a greater range of devices. And most of that is due to everybody kind of taking on and learning what Netflix and Amazon and Microsoft and Google had figured out, which was put everything on cloud arrays and, and make it easily accessible and let you access it from any device. Um, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you guys on an, an iPad now, and that is just as valid for connecting in as, you know, Carrie's probably on his laptop. Um, the cloud doesn't care what device you are. It's just a particular iterative slice of the internet. And so we're, we're learning to connect these things in better, but we have so much work to go can I make a digital twin of a city or can everyone be on the internet? Like if we tried to put everyone who's on the internet into 3D, the internet would crash immediately. We're, you know, we, we can't, when I envision um, a successor to the internet, I go, hey, for the most part, when I play a multiplayer game, it can probably handle 32 players that are each represented in terms of network traffic by one point each. And I go, hey, can I have one player represented by 32 points so we have good tracking for a person? And can I have 10,000 people and they're all in a stadium and I can see 10,000 other people all represented by 32 points? We can't do that. Mm -hmm. um, never mind 10 million and have it actually feel like a city. <laughs> so right. we've got a lot of good work to get there. I think, and I'm going to pass this to, to Carrie. Uh, is it kind of like we want it so bad that we, we're like, okay, we're there, we're there. And then, you know, reality hit. 
and then we're trying to get everything. I think, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, like when you, there is a, a an individual, people want the gamers, they want to be there, the, the movie goers, they want to go in the movie. You know, eventually you're going to get there, but you're not, you're not there yet. And then there's another thing, which is the commercial, they're trying to push this. So now it's metaverse everything. Like they, they want you to believe I'm not even going to, you know, I'm just going to say meta and, you know, <laughs> I think I send a clear message here and then they want to throw in there the blockchain. They want to throw in there the NFTs and, and everything. So I don't know. What's your take on this? I mean, are we looting ourselves that now we're there? I mean, we know already from Rafael we're not, but what's your point? So we're definitely not there. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to go back slightly and say that while Technology has been the limitation, but a lot of technology typically is driven by what the design wants. And, and we, we, want, we, we started reading books and we wanted to visualize the story. So we got movies and now we want to interact with that. So we got games and then we want to push the boundaries and get better and better. And what we realized that a single CPU cannot, cannot serve up all of these things. So we've got GPUs and now we've got actual AI processes companies like Graphcore are designing specialized AI processes, which will allow you to separate um, func functions and processes distinctively, which eventually will get you better content, better ecosystems, and maybe it will get us to a point where we might come close to what people are calling a metaverse, which is, now again, I go back to, there is some form of metaverse that's existed in games for a while, like 20 years ago, we, we dealt with the whole virtual world going in, in some of it was fairly immersive too. Now to get to a point where it's fully immersive, where you can sit back and plug yourself in and go all ready player one, we are not there. Um, we are definitely, <laughs> I would say seven, eight years before we even get close to something like that. Even then, I don't know if we are truly going to be able to separate our physical being from. The, the other question, Kerry, is do we want to go there? Um, for some things we do. I, I think there is there is absolute uses for some stuff. And I'm talking about, hey, if you, do you want to experience, I mean, for example, if you, you want to experience um, something which is sort of dangerous for jumping out of plane skydiving and you really want to experience it and you want to see what happens if you if your parachute does not open you don't want that experience in real life i'd rather do that you want to happen what happens if you're riding a motorcycle and you go sliding and you want to know what happened i'd rather do that and get very near the same sort of impact experience versus being out on the road and doing that so for some stuff absolutely there is there is some sort of uh, need for it now, do we want to completely immerse, um, immerse ourselves and, and live our lives in the metaverse? We may not want it. I think we, we didn't even want social media to the point where it is right now, but we are there. And whether we want it or not, I think we are going to go there. I think the generation that's coming after this will, uh, unfortunately, I, I hate to say it, but I think the, the generation, whatever gen X, Y, Z, what was after Z, what was coming, they are going to have their most in, important interactions in something akin to a metaverse. They're going to have birthdays there. They're going to meet people they interact with. Um, they will have more interaction in that virtual world than the physical world. I and mean, that, unfortunately, is the reality we are heading to. 
do we want to go there? Um, I personally don't. I, I'd rather go back to playing with soccer balls and, and being out of the house till nine o'clock and just coming home for dinner. And my mom and dad were completely okay with that. Uh, but that's a world we left behind. Um, and now we are moving into a more digital ecosystem. So we, to answer your question, we're going to get there whether we like it or not. Let me ask this, Raf. The where is there? Is it one place that we end up with, or is it multiple? And it, are we reliant upon a few of the big players that can afford to create these spaces? And I guess the the other thing I'm curious about is, do we? And I'm thinking the tech here, so maybe Carrie has some thoughts on this as well. Are we proof of concepting these worlds? creating worlds that maybe we don't want that we're going to get stuck with <laughs> because yeah. there's so much <laughs> invested, right? People bought so many NFTs in these worlds that we, we can't let that world go. And now we have, we're, we're stuck with this technology that or the um, system or whatever. We're, we're, we're never, we're never stuck. Um, and, and, and keep in mind as much as people are like, Oh, you know, I bought this, I bought this NFT and it lives on the blockchain. The core thing with technology is that technology changes and things go away and we forget about the things that were here a, a short time ago. Um, the internet started in 1984, the web started in 1990. The web at its core is a 2D asynchronous, you know, turn-based interface for dealing with text and static images and clumsily with little bits of audio and embedded video. But you know, as soon as you go to any amount of, of real audio or video, it kicks out to a, a cloud server. Um, the web is a 2D thing. Um, we will eventually replace uh, the internet and the web. ARPANET was before the internet and then Usenet and, Biz and, and Bitnet. And then we got to the internet and we've grown on the internet, but eventually, you know, the, the internet is basically infrastructure and protocols for text traffic. We will go, and, and it's clumsily handled other things stacked on top of that. In my view, if we, whatever we want to call it, and we can call it metaverse, we'll go, okay, the metaverse is the protocol for connecting virtual worlds into each other where we first need to do things to figure out how to get there. Eventually, if we want to get to a metaverse that exists on a meta net infrastructure that is more capable of handling that traffic, then we will first need to, over the next 10 to 20 years, build, you know, think of it as like um, experiments and exemplars to try to get towards that. We will have to build basically prototypes and precursors and go, does this work? Or is this safe enough? Um, does this protect our privacy? Um, did um, certain internet advertising companies mine our biometric data? Do we want that or not? We've got to understand how much our identity is worth, how we want to project our identity, and even things um, where, where we set up an identity can people have multiple identities? When they set up a representation of themselves, should that always be exactly how it look, how you look? Can you represent yourself as how you want to be, how people perceive you as, as you aspire to be, or as you think you are? 
um, letting people create their identity online, authenticating it, setting it up so that people, maybe people have different identities for different worlds, but um, we are not yet at a metaverse that is connected from multiple worlds. What we first need to do is grow these worlds robustly and figure out in these individual spaces how to feel, how to interact, how to navigate each other, how to curate and moderate and make a safe space collectively where we are not being abused by others or exploited by corporations. And it's good that we have a couple of decades to figure that out rather than boom, the metaverse is here and we're screwed and it's a dystopia like William Gibson and Neil Stevenson have written about because we didn't learn along the way. Now is the time to learn and to protect ourselves and each other so that if we're gonna go online even more as a society, we don't do it badly. And and Carrie, thanks thanks for all of that, Ralph. And, and I guess my main main concern, and Carrie, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but let's say you said the technology goes away and we forget about it. Well, if I have ten thousand bucks in an NFT and that that world goes away, I'm not going to forget about that too soon. <laughs> you so, will definitely feel it. <laughs> I definitely feel it. So you, you mentioned or, or, earlier or, or we... VHS tapes or cassettes, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. We're, we're, we both it hurts, but we also let go of it. And we go. I have so many CDs, but then do I crack them or do I listen to a streaming audio? <laughs> True. Yeah, I have boxes and boxes of CDs sitting there. It's a good point. Um, so, and I guess that's my question to you, Carrie, because you mentioned NFTs kind of were somewhat born in, in the gaming world, and now we've pulled them out into, quote unquote, the real world and trying to see how that works there. And I'm and Raph mentioned a, a, an environment where we can protect ourselves and be safe. And I'm just wondering, is, is there a connection between the metaverse and our physical world where we can kind of maintain both in a way that we protect ourselves uh, in both places? Where does that just further complicate things? I mean, it, it, it that's, that's a super interesting question. Um, and I'll, so the, the problem with metaverse, and I, I think I'm going to go back to something you said earlier, are we, are we just beginning to build prototypes? And I think we are, we're going to build multiple prototypes. We are literally going to create, a, we, are, we have the cusp of building infrastructure for a distributed decentralized system. So we'll have multiple of these things. And what will happen is um, you'll have people trying to create content and trying to create communities within those systems. Uh, and then that is where your identity comes into play. That's what Raph, like, do you represent yourself as yourself in that, in that world and represent yourself as something completely different in another world? Now, it all depends on the rules of that ecosystem you are going into to, to represent yourself. And I think that will determine whether, for example, I can't go to the DMV and, and call myself Raphael and get a driver's license. That does not happen with different rules of that. But I can I can literally go to a library out here and get a library card saying I'm Raphael. They don't care. So uh, it's going to be similar in the metaverse. There'll be some systems which require you to authenticate yourself and identify yourself with your real world sort of credentials. In other systems, you can be whatever you want. We'll need both. I think people, humans, want to run away from reality as much as we can because reality um, is not. It, it, reality tends to 
to put water on our dreams every day. At least it does on mine. Uh, so <laughs> we we want to escape reality. So we want that's why we have movies and books, right? So we'll have we will have a bunch of worlds in the metaverses where you you can run away from reality, where you can be Batman and Superman, and then you'll be the other one where literally this is where you're doing your banking and your everyday things. There, your identity will um, play a big part. So um, to that a- aspect something will not change you just have to find better means of authenticating and identifying yourself in that world the things that exist in in the physical world right now the 2d world will will not work in the metaverse uh, it's a completely different system so you'll have to find better ways to do that uh, in terms of the nfts i mean this this is this is a, a sort of a pet peeve of mine and i think raf too um, we've dealt with I wouldn't call it NFT, but we've dealt with non-fungible tokens in games. They work within a specified ecosystem. For example, within a Need for Speed, you can buy an upgrade pack and that works in that racing game. It's perfectly fine. And the value of that remains in that ecosystem. It follows the rules of that ecosystem. You take it out of that ecosystem, it falls completely flat. I mean, if I take a take a racing engine and take it to Battlefield or 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 a Facebook game, it has got absolutely no value whatsoever. It does not even follow the rules of that. So, so for me, NFTs, taking NFTs out from virtual worlds and putting in a physical world and, and hoping like hell that they actually have got some sort of value, it doesn't work for me. The value is created by, by almost by sort of a, if you've got one, asset and I want that. I want to own the certificate of that. I want to bad enough to say that I've got the original certificate, then I'm willing to pay you a bit more. Um, but beyond that, I don't see a value. I don't see an ecosystem where it's it, how different is it from baseball trading cards? How different is it from uh, a painting? You just taking a digital version of it. Why? And then why do I care if it's a certificate that you own and that says you own this digital version of it? Because when it's digital, the ownership, I don't care about the ownership. I care about enjoying it on my screen. I could take a screenshot and enjoy it. Do I, do I really care if it's a, whereas a Mona Lisa painting, there's enjoyment in having the original and looking at it. Um, oh, God, I wish I had that original. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, actually, you'd be at a disadvantage having that original because you can't really do much with it other than just look at it. You might as well leave it in the loop. <laughs> no, 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 I agree. Listen, you went into something that I'm, I'm very passionate about and, and, and I want to ask both of you about it. For me, when you talk about a metaverse, is one metaverse that is an open world, and I'm talking ideally in my head, where if you own an F, NFT, you carry it with you wherever the hell you are. I mean, that's will be my ideal metaverse. But we're already seeing that there are metaverse that are wall garden, you know, wall garden already. And and as you say, you can't carry that around. Like, you know, I remember one of my first game that I really love was a long time ago was Quest right, before World of Warcraft. And, you know, you you were sweating to get your little items to get to sell to the market. There wasn't really something you actually buy with the money in, in your bank account like you can do now. But once you had it, you're attached to it, like if it's a real physical object, right? So apart from that NFT, can you consider a metaverse when you're actually 
not allowed to go somewhere else. So is the metaverse by definition one open space or can it be many multiple spaces? Probably going to be, both of you. Um, I'd say I would treat the metaverse. I mean, if you're looking at a metaverse and the way I envision it is this, there is going to be potentially a global universe and within which smaller sort of world will exist and which will have some common rules um, that the, you have to follow to exist in that and beyond that you have like substance, almost like countries or planets within the ecosystem and then some planets you can have life on, the other planets are just there for us to look at in the evening and yeah. pretend I love we know. It. That's, that's what I imagine, yeah, in my head. Uh, and then, then you'll, have, you'll have sort of large metaverses like the planet earth and then you'll have sort of different segments in that which will have their own ecosystems and rules and then within that there'll be some nfts potentially they'll create enough cross sort of border rules that allow nfts to be exchanged um now again this is a this is a utopian sort of view of great i bought this digital nft at some point in the future i can take it to another useful metaverse and it'll have value um uh, not there right now. Um, and I, I think, so for me, if there is going to be any value of NFT, that potentially could be one where I can say, all right, for example, I bought NFT for a resource that's available in this metaverse, but it's also equally useful in another metaverse. And then it sort of allows me to exchange or go between metaverses. But right now, the way I look at it, the way I've seen the NFTs, um, being thrown out there a um, lot of them don't make sense a lot of them are just for me they're no more than baseball card which is great i mean if you're a collector and if you have got value you you there's a perceived value that you have for it go ahead pay for it but beyond that the functionality bit is missing and that for me purely is like okay i can't use the baseball card to or you potentially can in the US, but if you take the baseball card and go to India, they have no idea what the heck it means. They're just going to throw it out. Um, so, so again, <laughs> so it, it, it has to be, so, so the NFT has, has value within a certain community, certain ecosystem where it's useful beyond that uh, at this point. Like, Plus, it, and it can go to zero. It's a symbolic <laughs> value, right? So there is not really a functionality. Right. I mean, it's not like you buy a sword with magical power and, and you can, you know, fight other player with it. But then can you transfer that with that amount of damage you know, in the other universe? I mean, so that's perceived value. That's what I mean. Like even the baseball cards, the perceived value. I, mean, I, I won a Babe Ruth card but because I think he was a fantastic player. It's a rare stuff and perceived value. But like I said, you take it. Um, I can literally go to my neighbor who does not follow. I mean, I don't follow baseball. So for me, it's got no value. But I know my neighbor, she's a massive Dodgers fan. If I give her the card, she's going to potentially sell her house and get that. So it's, it's a perceived value situation there. Yeah, I agree. Sean, you want a card? I'll sell it to you. <laughs> You're going to sell me a baseball card? I'll trade you for my Gucci bag. How's that? Oh, there you go. <laughs> that's a, that's um, a bad trade. I don't, I don't know, Roth, if you want to comment on that i mean i have a gazillion questions in my head i guess let me let me go ahead and ask this uh either way um whoever wants to answer because we're talking about things and 
I view it less about the things and more about the experience. And my question is, I mean, I think about when I was a kid, I, there are certain memories I have of driving, driving my dad's truck on the farm for the first time, right? That's something I can think about, but I can't re-experience it. I can't experience it again. I can just think about the memory that I have, which is probably flawed <laughs> because my memory sucks. So in these worlds, I presume these experiences are being memorialized for us, right? And presumably for long, long periods of time where I can actually replay that experience. Is that a correct evaluation of, of those worlds? Can I, can I relive that driving the truck for the first time? Potentially. Um, so um, part of what you're describing uh, actually goes back to, to the, uh, the Catherine Bigelow movie, Strange Days, with, with, with Ray Fiennes, uh, if you remember it. that. <laughs> yep. Um, and, and I do think... Blew that, my mind, really, yeah. thinking about that. <laughs> a- absolutely. Um, and, and that's the thing, is like that, on a certain level, is kind of a virtual reality movie. It's about going into those memories um, and whether you, you think of the person as reliving or just experiencing that, um, you know, whether it's passive or active, that notion of, of going into an experience, going into a memory is something that we are sometimes trying to do with games is, is to build an experience that someone else can inhabit. Um, and and that, that experience, whether it is passive or active or how much of each is a thing that is almost kind of frozen in time, sitting on a disc, sitting on a server, waiting for someone to dive into. Um, and, and, and oftentimes we're, we're thinking about how to expand that. Like I, I, can, I, I can literally remember back to when I was at Looking Glass in Boston, you know, doing early 3D and thinking about going into a theater and going, wouldn't it be great if when people went into a theater, they would all go in to a virtual experience together? Um, that we could inhabit a movie together, whatever that means. And you could take that 10 different directions. But, you know, e- even just thinking like, if, you know, hey, if it's a murder mystery, um, that we could all go in and wander around together and experience that and see different things and compare notes. Um, there's a lot of potential still for creating both memories and constructions of things where we're just about at the point where we've got kind of a functional baseline where we can go, let's think about this thing and then let's do it. Like we can't go here, let's make the earth or let's make a city, but we can go, let's make a convincing experience, which also allows us to, as you said, to recreate that experience. And, And I will say that it's not too surprising on a certain level that, um, there is literally a farming simulator on Steam right now that, um, that has hundreds of thousands of people playing it actively, consistently, and that's gotten millions of sales. People will play anything that gives them a connection to a thing that they care about, um, and that could be sitting on a tractor. <laughs> and are, is somebody well, using well, they- that data to, to drive... Uh... The, the futures uh, prices of wheat and <laughs> well, 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 so, <laughs> yeah well, well so so that's the thing is like just as we have that 
farming, you know, it's literally farming simulator. I think it's probably probably farming simulator 2002 uh, or 2022 on, on Steam. Um, on, on another level, farming, uh, you know, f actual farming equipment, you know, by John Deere and others is becoming more focused on uh, being cloud run, um, AI driven and, and without drivers. <laughs> so, you know, the things that we're doing in, enter in entertainment, they reflect over into enterprise. When we talk about, um, hey, you know, creating a metaverse, you know, keep in mind that like the, uh, you know, the D Department of Defense is creating metaverses for, you know, really they're creating virtual world simulations to play out scenarios where this range of PC, console, mobile, XR, you know, AR, VR, MR, we are using it in games, but people are also using it for architecture, engineering, and construction, for health and, and medicine, for military for education. Um, everybody is starting to use 3D technologies supplemented by cloud because they're going, I can create a simulation, now what should that be? And it's just as valid for folks to go, can I have a doctor um, who is 3,000 miles away from their patient who is telepresencing into a robot um, to do a bit of surgery um, because they can't fly there fast enough. Um, like that's, to me, that's part of the future of the metaverse. Also, it's not just, can we play games or can we have experiences, but can people work? Can people, um, not just have entertainment, but be productive, um, and cross distances, you know, part of the things that we talked about in VR in the last decade were, can we crudely create a sense of presence and move people across distances and go, I can securely move this doctor thousands of miles and they can do a procedure when it takes them too long to fly there. Can they feel like they are there? Can they have enough senses of what that experience is like to do it in real time? Never mind have the memory of it after, can they do it there and do it safely? <laughs> And uh, as I, I think the three of us probably could hear, but not you, Roth. Uh, I don't know if you're on a headset. Maybe the if it's a Bluetooth headset, the battery might be running because there's a little, <laughs> a little a crack little there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. Sorry, my, my my Bluetooth actually died and it's charging <laughs> now, and so I'm I'm on. Uh, <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> well, my my theory was wrong then because I was going to say none of this is going to work if we can't power it all. <laughs> Yeah, so, there's an interesting metaverse thermal. concept that I was just thinking about. You could start doing, you could have metaverse dates and you could sell NFTs for that and you could potentially say, hey, you, you, if you want to have a date with me, or that, that's, that's, you can have meetings with people, secret meetings in the metaverse somewhere and then go meet them. And have, so there's an application for the metaverse where you can, you can, uh, you can do that. Um, uh, I think I think that that's gonna be my answer when people are talking to me and I'm looking blankly into space. I'm just I'm gonna meeting somewhere in the metaverse. <laughs> I was actually reading something about that, you know, during the pandemic and and how people are rethinking: Do I need to fly and spend the money on, on the flight, spend the time being in a hotel, just to talk for 45 minutes on a on a presentation on a conference when you maybe be able to do it? 
with a headset and virtual reality. I'm not talking even hologram, but just like everybody's there with their with a headset. So that's another one. I mean, of course, it's uh, also doing surgery and, and and a lot of things, of course, have been doing as, as Raphael said about mental health, for example. I mean, they're experimenting with with a lot of things right there. So I don't know, Sean, I mean, we, we are hitting almost the hour and I think a headset time, it's it's running out. <laughs> yeah, you know, I with every every point and uh, everything that both Carrie and Raphael say, I, it drums up 10 more questions and none of them are easy for me to ask, let alone answer, I'm sure. Um, so, I, I mean, I could talk for hours and hours and hours and I'm being deadly serious here, but uh, I think we need to wrap this one. I think there's plenty more we could talk about. Uh, I'd like to get more into tech. I, I think there's a lot of philosophical stuff <laughs> still brewing in my head of, of why and 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 for whom um, I kind of want to di- so. dissect games and and, yeah. and Ready Player One and Ready Player <laughs> Two and Snow Crash and all of that with with, with uh, Carrie and Raphael. I, I say honestly, and I know it's, Sean, you said seriously, and I double on that. I, if you guys want to come back and keep this conversation, I'll be more than we happy to do so. Absolutely, yeah, because yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and, and I know we, so we've many gone... things we can do more. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and that's the thing is, is I, I would say that Carrie and I got into games because it's often where a bunch of this technology is being adopted fastest and where there's the, the most latitude to experiment. Um, and, and, and it's exciting for that, but it's also exciting. Um, you know, the other side of it is when you see it in the hands of users, uh, in the hands of players, and you see um, not only that they're using and experiencing and doing the things that you've set up, but you also watch them, you know, directly and indirectly, and you see them do things that you never imagined. Um, there, there's an amazing process in games for, you know, it can be Super Mario 64 with Shigeru Miyamoto and him, you know, watching going like, oh, I, I set this up, but also they do things I didn't expect. Um, mm. You know, in, in going back to Quake with Carmack, he talks about people discovering rocket jumping. And it's like, it was just a, a physics glitch, but people found a thing that they liked and they used it and expanded on it. And that's the thing that we know consistently in games is that we're creating a simulation that's imperfect and it's reduced from what we can experience in the real world, but people take that and they make it their own. And that's the most wonderful thing about games is realizing that your players take the world that you created and they surprise you right back. You try to do what you can to, to, to give them surprise, but they take that and then they run with it in ways that you never expected. Yeah, yeah, I I love to actually go deeper into the the user interface and how it, you know that the user experience and how that it has that technology factor, but also that human factor that you need to you need to take. I mean, your example is perfect. So, like, you imagine something, you you give it to a kid like a toy, and then they play with that toy in a completely different way. Like, what the hell? I didn't even think about that. But that's that's how human think, and that's. That's what makes us human, really. So that's that's a good thing. 
Yeah. Well, everything in the house is a hammer, right? So <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whatever is closest to that nail is going to get used as a hammer. Uh, all right. Well, uh, yeah, I, 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 I could, yeah, my brain's fried at the moment. So I, I want to thank Rafael and, and Carrie for a fantastic conversation. And uh, please do come back for many more conversations. Uh, we have many directions we can go, probably some we didn't even touch on today. So uh, for everybody listening, uh, you'll have Raf and Carrie's uh, profile info there so you can connect with them. Um, and perhaps they'll share some resources with us for research and uh, I know some movies and some games and things were, were mentioned here. So maybe some of those would be interesting things for folks to dig into. So we'll ask uh, Rafael and Carrie to share some of that with us. So they'll be in the show notes. And of course, stay tuned for more audio signals, uh, for more conversations that uh, are about life and, and living and technology and society and any other crap that's in Marco and I's head that doesn't uh, doesn't directly hit cybersecurity, <laughs> which is refreshing to not talk about that. Oh, I, I kind of love it. <laughs> yeah, you especially, exactly. As, as much as I love cybersecurity, I, I, I love yeah. this stuff. Yeah. Hey, th- and and let's not fun. forget that we can probably flip them into the security of gaming as well. So well, I heard one the, day the, the privacy we can do there. <laughs> privacy work tripped on me. But yeah. I didn't go there. It's, uh, it, it's what I specialize in these days. So happy to come back and talk more about it. Ah, look at that. All right, there you go. Uh, Rafael and I are going to just skip that conversation, and then you and Sean can have it. <laughs> we'll go deep into, into the process and love it. All right. All right, good. everybody. Thanks, Rafael. Awesome. Thanks, Gary. Cheers, everybody. Thank you for having us. Take care. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at Nintex.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Audio Signals. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society, and some even beyond that.